0: in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me start with you with the last chapter of the book of the Incarnation, just to read a few sentences from it. But for the searching and right understanding of the scriptures, there is need of a good life and a pure soul. So sentence is telling us, it's not a matter of <coughs> being intelligent <coughs> or reading more than others, it needs a good life and a pure soul and for Christian virtue to guide the mind to grasp without Christian virtue we can wander very easily and we can go wherever we want so remember in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 he is telling us all the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord he puts them in three couples if it's only the spirit of knowledge it will lead to too far from God without the fear of God. It's nearly the same thing that St. Essential is telling us here. So, f- so far as human nature can, the truth concerning God the world, one cannot possibly understand the teaching of the saints unless one has a pure mind and is trying to imitate their life. The whole chapter 57 is just about it. So what I'm reminding myself for anything else or for anyone else, we need to live this holy life to grasp the mind of the word of God and the mind of the church fathers. It's not a matter of how much we have read, how knowledgeable or how intelligent we are, it's how humble we are how we live this very short life. So last last week we spoke about the tradition in general as an introduction and our subtitle today is the Holy Tradition and the Reformers. Why I started with the Holy Tradition and the Reformers? Last week, we defined what is Tradition and we found out that Tradition is everything in the Church. The scripture, the creeds, the canons, the consensus of the fathers, the icons, everything. What happened during the time of the Reformation and what was their own or their main concern, what was wrong with the Church at a time? We'll start historically from a little bit far, from the 12th century nearly, this is by definition he is the first forerunner of the Reformation. His name is Valdo or Pierre Valdo who was a French merchant who was very rich and one day he was visited by two priests and strangely enough those priests at that time they had parts of the scriptures written in French which was very alien to their culture at that time At that time, the Bible should be only in Latin, in the church and no one can own it in any other language or is not available even in any other language So he was amazed to see the beauty of the Word of God So he gives them more money and he asked them to translate for him the New Testament and they did They took the money from him and they translated for him the New Testament in French After that he sold everything and started from home to home to share the word of God and the good news with people. Of course the church was angry against him because at that time the church was against preaching by laity and against preaching the word of God in any other language or sharing the word of God in any other language at the time we have to read in Latin and sometimes it was allowed that the priest or the minister <clears throat> can preach in the local language but people didn't understand the word itself so they have to take what the priest is going to share with them uh, the church was against him and he was excommunicated in one of the local councils. And later <clears throat> he was persecuted. Therefore, are still available till now. The brethren, the church, of Lemos, or the of Blemos, the close brethren, they believe that he is the high father of the church. Later, they have another one called Andreas Karlstadt. But this is the original father of them because he is the first one to say that we have to dig and to read the word of God at that time again in the West. Uh, his followers joined Martin Luther later in the 16th century, and they called the Valdezians the followers of Waldo, and by all means they, are, they were with him, but the main idea is to keep the world of God. But to think of why this revolt, we said last week that in, in, uh, in 1054 it was the Great Schism was the Church of the East and the Church of the West, or the Latin Church in Rome and the Eastern Church in uh, Constantinople. Again, the idea started from the same split. We said that the meaning of the tradition in the East remains the same. It's the whole life of the Church transferred or conveyed from generation to generation through the Holy Spirit. In the West. Or in the Latin Church, it became two different parallel sources of revelation. One of them is tradition, and the other one is scripture, and the deviation could be as much as we can. So, all those people, the forerunners of the Reformations, and then the reformers later, had one idea we need to go back to any source. But because the Bible at the time was totally neglected, it was only in latin and no one is listening to it in his own local language and the priest or the master is preaching only his own message later during the reformation the problem became they are preaching mainly the indulgences and the purgatory so both of them were too far from that next one this is another one of the major uh, forerunner of the reformation. We will find the whole idea maybe as the title of the book I shared with you Sola Scriptura or Sola traditiona. The idea is we don't have this is an English guy so we don't have an English Bible so his fight was against the church because of the corruption that he has seen in the church and when we say corruption it's not only about priesthood it's about the whole life of the church is not Empowered by the Holy Spirit, it has the, the church at that time has their own agendas, and then everyone deviated behind them. So the same idea: it was where is the Bible? Where is the Word of God? Because the Bible has been separated from the tradition. So the fight was only: can we put the Bible back in the church, as if the Bible is not part of the tradition? And this again because the deviation or the. Mistake that the Catholic Church has done at the time by separating between tradition and scripture and then everything missed out with them. So John Wycliffe was against the established Church in Britain because Britain at the time was part of the Catholic Church. But unfortunately he saw that the Church is paying a lot to Rome just for being Rome. So financially, he was against it, and theologically, he was against what started to be preached at that time. The indulgence was not at its peak, but at the beginning of a big movement in the whole land of Europe. In 1374, he published a big number of books. He was excommunicated. He was sent back, he was a professor. a doctor of theology in Oxford he was sent back to Bradford after 10 years of his death they discovered they did not burn him so they brought his relics out and they burned his, rel- his relics this was relics, yes they yes they forgot to, to burn him alive <laughs> <Shifu Hatani> was <laughs> burned alive next one you know? Yes. very quickly so this is happening um, with the Roman Catholic Church it's the whole Christianity in Europe at that time, because there was no, no, nothing else at that time. And Europe, in, in, there, was in, no no? <laughs> there was no Canada. There was <laughs> no There was no Canada. Yes, I know. That's fine. But what is taking place at this time to, um, in, in, our, LL, in mm, the Orthodox Church? Yes. Okay. Yes. I will tell you something very interesting. Now we are nearly in the 13th century. Mm-hmm. The Eastern Orthodox Church remained faithful. In certain times, they were about to go to the purgatory, believe it or not. In the Council of Florence, in the 15th century, they were about to sign to accept the indulgences. But thank God they didn't do it. This is historically. There's something else, but we can't share it today because it's quite big. In the 17th century, exactly in 1672, it was uh, The Pope or the Archbishop of Constantinople, his name was Cyril Lucaris. He is the first Orthodox patriarch who converted the whole church into Calvinistic. The church remained nearly a hundred years. The confession of faith of Cyril Lucaris was Calvinistic and then they held another council uh, called the Council of Jerusalem. This is not part of our history, but is, we said Orthodox in general. And then they reverted back the teaching of the church and Orthodox. So, the, the worst part of the story is not in the 14th century. It started in the end of 15th after the rise of the Ottoman Empire. Hmm. Because the Ottoman Empire was a disaster for Constantinople and of course to our area in the Middle East. So Orthodoxy nearly was under the bondage of Islam and mainly the Ottoman Empire and people were just, I mean, trying to live as much as they can. They were not in, in, the, in the mode of fighting or going into debate. That's why we'll find us in the history itself, we totally disappeared from any ecumenical thing until maybe later in the... not before the 20th century unfortunately. So this is history we are not saying anything about. It. So, John macleod did something Unintentionally, he wrote many books about trans, mainly he was focused on translating the Bible into the local language. So what he did, he published many books and he was exiled into his own city once more, Bradford and died and then he burnt his uh, his relics. But something historically happened we don't know how but it's by God's grace as they say the prince of Prague married the princess of London or of of England and she moved with all the books and writings of uh, John Wycliffe and this ignited another movement in Prague, next one, this is the most famous guy who is called the forerunner of the reformation John Huss, he has the same problem, why the bible is not preached in the church because he picked up all the writings of uh, John Wycliffe. And again, it's still the same problem. The tradition was not an issue for them. The problem is the deviation of the Catholic tradition from the meaning of tradition they have thought of. That's why when we say that if it Sola Scriptura or Sola Traditiona, is it only the scripture only the tradition, it's not a fight. It's the reality to sort out a theological debate at that time. John has had a big movement, had many followers, and even it was a revolution at his time, and many people died. But unfortunately, he they burned him on a stake in front of everyone because of his beliefs. So, those are the people who are fighting not to cancel the tradition, but they want the Bible, the power of the word, to be in the church with any reasonable tradition. We'll see it later how. It was the conflict at its peak with Martin Luther? Because our title is tradition and reformers, but we need to think also of those forerunners of the Reformation. Don't they make him a uh, saint in rock? is it his name like Saint Hus? But you don't have saints. I, don't know, I thought I saw like a church. There is many churches after his name. Hus means goose. Goose, but wizard. Oh. His name is, means that? This yes. one. I will share with you today only this four person. As I said, I will share for half an hour, and then we can discuss as much as you want. Martin Luther. Uh, sometimes when we hear about him, when we were very young, we heard it in a very negative way. He want a guy wanted to marry. So he left the church. and make a, It's not about marriage at all. Yes. He, he married later, eight years after the reformation, but was not aiming mainly to marry. His idea at the beginning, he was a reformer from within the church. He knew the history very well. He knew if he will rebel, he will be burned in front of everyone without any mercy. And the church will be and hailed as doing something good by burning anyone who is opposing the church teaching at that time. So all what he was aiming is to reform from within. For him, tradition at, at the beginning was very respectable. He's a monk, Augustinian monk, uh, according to the Augustinian order. <clears throat> and he was ordained at a very early age as a priest, at the age of 21. His father was a very famous lawyer in Germany and he wanted him to be a lawyer but unfortunately he he went against the will of his father and he became a monk. When he was ordained at the age of 21 his dad was trying to regain his fame so he invited everyone for the first liturgy he's going to officiate. And all of a sudden during the liturgy his tongue was Stuck, and he couldn't speak a word because he feels how awesome this moment, and he didn't say a single word in the inauguration or or the nature of his of his liturgy. This is how he was adoring the Eucharist and the liturgy at that time. The problem started. <clears throat> from one major thing. Again, when we we say the word tradition, we mean that if I am not fully alive within the tradition of the church, I will feel such things in a moment or, or, or more. So, he has a great sense of guilt. He says, whenever I hear the word the righteousness of God, I am dying, because I know I am too far from it. At that time, unfortunately, the church teaching mainly was blasphemism salvation is by your own deeds, and by your deeds alone. That's a part of the idea of the indulgence, you are doing doing things, paying money, or even penance, or, or, or trying to torture yourself for the sake of pleasing God, because you have done something wrong. He went to Rome, and he went on his knees in the big cathedral of St. Peter, trying to please God by his own deeds. But he found that all that his sense of guilt is getting bigger and bigger and he hated himself more and more. His abbot in the monastery, called Staubitsa, he was a good Christian man. He gave him many advices, but one of them was to read Saint Augustine. And the first book he read in his life was the commentary of Saint Augustine on the book of Rome. Of Romans. And when he started to read the book, he started to see something totally different. Why? Because we know that Saint Augustine was went went to the other extreme. Salvation is by grace alone, against the church tradition as well. So he picked up this, and his first his first book he wrote, or he he published the same commentary with notes. It's notes on the commentary of Saint Augustine on the Book of Romans. To say one thing now I can be saved without doing anything. Because St. Augustine said salvation is by grace alone, or the first one in the church has to say salvation by grace alone, salvation is by faith alone, and we are predestined. Some people are in the list, and they'll be saved because they are in the list, not because of any personal merit we are going to do. For him it was a revolution and release from all the sins of guilt that he had. And again, why this is sins of guilt? Because he was learning in the church only salvation by deeds, which is a very famous heresy of black And now he went to the other extreme of that time. Maybe you can discuss this later, how this idea started in the 5th century and died in the beginning of the 6th century the conflict between grace and free will and then reappeared once more in the 16th century and unfortunately didn't die yet still we are in the same dilemma is it by faith alone or by grace alone or where is the works and so on we can discuss this one day later so Martin Luther has nothing to do against the tradition but again he was against every single thing against the word of God this is his beginning. That's why he started on the 31st of October 19, sorry, 1517. He nailed the 95 theses at the uh, cathedral of Wittenberg to say this is my objections. At that time it was allowed to, put, to nail your own thesis or your own objections and then they have to give you in two weeks time a date to discuss what you are, uh, what you are trying to object to. He said, strangely enough, in two weeks, the whole Europe has a copy of this 950s. And strangely enough, no one called him or no one tried to kill him at that time. The history tells us there is a guy called Frederick the Wise. He was the governor of Bavaria and he accepted to protect him. Again, we don't know how and why, but this is what the history is telling us he started the same journey he was trying to make not a revolution he started to make a reformation from within the church as if you have seen something wrong in the church and you are going to tell the priest or the bishop to try to restore the problem he has no intention at all to, to create a new church because at that time he knew he will be killed and nothing will be happened. what happened to understand why the reformers went too far in the end. One of his very first books he wrote, a book called The, um, the Babylonian Captivity of the Church. You saw the church is in captivity under the wrong teachings of the hierarchy of Rome at that time. So he started to deal in this book was only the seven sacraments. Again, how the sacraments were performed in the, at the time, it t- tells us, it was a real tradition of the church, or a deviation, and he was against these deviations. So, he was fully assured that the body and the blood of Christ is a real present in the Eucharist. And he was ready to die for it. He was opposing two things. We reject the same in the Catholic Church. First of all, he rejected the term trans Second, he rejected what he called it at the time communion of one kind. The Catholic Church, till now some churches do the same, give only the bread and the priest has to take the the blood. This was his own concern with the church. When you look at it, he is trying to keep an original tradition. He is not against a tradition. The same thing for the baptism, he believed very very yani. You know, wholeheartedly if you can say that the baptism is essential for salvation it's a new person with Christ and it's this with Christ and we need to have it and there is no doubt of it he was against the other five sacraments for his own reasons and what he was debating at the time was again against the corruption of the church so he felt for example the confession is essential is good, is beneficial, but comp- not compulsory. Why? Because he saw the corruption of the priesthood. This is the three major things he mentioned in his book. All other sacraments, he put them aside. Some of his opinions at the time make a dis- made many disasters in the church, but I'm not going to go through it. But again, the idea he was not against the tradition, but at one point later, in the 3rd of January 1521 was the final decision of excommunicating him. He tried for 4 years to make this uh, reformation within and then he has a choice. As we discussed last week, the choice itself is wrong. He told him, either you have to believe in everything in the church or to leave. He said at that time something very strange. He said, where the Bible is, the church is. I am the church. But the issue is worse than that. If you go back again to the story, the very famous debate was starting in 1519 called Leipzig Disputation. They had 13 points. There's a very famous bishop at the time responsible for discussing such things with people who are objecting against the church. His name was Meyer von Eck. And he was replying to the 95 Theses, which is all of them even against the indulgence and purgatory only so the first twelve points were trying to refute the points of, of, of Martin Luther and in the discussion he accepted to surrender to everything that Luther was saying believe it or not but number thirteen was the issue which is totally out of context number thirteen if you don't believe that the Pope of Rome is the head of the church you have no salvation and he stuck at this point and then he reverted everything and said all or none if you are not going to take this it's, it's undone and this was the greatest case believe it or not this is one of the breaking points in the history of the church this point he, he was no he, uh, uh, Luther was accepted in the church if he would accept this one and this point which makes this dilemma at that time more than that it's not only this point that he wants to to prove it he gives him a very nice point again from the tradition as we said last time till 1054 the church was east and west the same where they have an archbishop of Constantinople and an archbishop or a bishop of Rome and people believe that they are saved without believing that the head of Rome is my head while I am in Constantinople. So I told them, those people are are they are they saved or not? If they don't believe in the Pope of Rome or the head of the, of the church in Rome before 1454, they didn't listen to him, and it ended up that now he is not in the right position. Even later, there's something called the Diet of Worms. The difference between a council and diet, the council is convened by the church. The, the diet is convened by the emperor. So the emperor made a special council, if you can call it, and he tried to convince him, and he refused, and he excommunicated him in this one officially from the emperor. In, in January, he was con- uh, excommunicated by the church in April was excommunicated by the emperor himself and then the idea of the tradition became very vague even for him because now he said the liturgy he believed in the real presence of the body and blood of Christ the liturgy is not convenient now so what are you going to do? I will make my own liturgy so the way of worship which is part of the tradition it's not convenient now. So what are we going to do? I'll make another way of, 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 of worship. He's the one who didn't say the word sola scriptura, only scripture, but every single writing of his writings, he wrote 55 volumes, not 55 books, 55 volumes. It has one motto. It's scripture alone. If it's in the scripture, fine. If it's not in scripture, it's not right. That's why when we say, we were totally away from this disaster or from this dilemma, that we can hear the same thing, unfortunately, in some of our churches. If it's not in the Bible, I'm not going to believe it. We are going back to where we have a great schism and great divisions in the church. In his lifetime, there's a very famous book, a letter to the German nobles in this book he wrote a statement he said any child who is nine years old is able to read the bible and to understand it by himself in his lifetime many people started to read the bible and to oppose him and to oppose his own understanding So, and people even like we will see in a minute were about to Say we have to kill him because he's a heretic. Reformers as well as, as he did. Two days before his death, he has a, a daily uh, uh, contemplations. He has a book called the Table Talk. Exactly two days before his death, that the Bible is a hard book. You can't understand by yourself. We need to go back to the fathers. That's why upon his death. In the end of 16th and beginning of 17th century, was the biggest movement of translating the church fathers from Greek and Latin into German, and what is available now in German is more than what we have in English, because of this statement two days before his death. The church is telling us it's not only about what he did, what he think of. In reality, what he discovered, he, the church cannot live without a tradition. Even for a simple meeting like us. We meet in a certain place, we sit in a certain way. In the end, we'll, this is a tradition. This is something we convey, what we received and are conveying in a sense. But in the end he said, scripture alone, and in the same moment, he made his own tradition again. But has nothing to do with the roots of the church. The worst part of the story, when we are, or when he did at that time, he was trying to oppose the Catholic Church. So he was reactive in his belief, reactive in his own ideas about tradition, so he was not trying to find something, I am not saying midway, but something more of correction, rather than radical objection to what we are doing. One more thing, or one extinction question why he did not go to the Orthodox Church? Why he made a church? So someone now, if you want to move from a church you are not going to make a church now it's done even, you can make a church but at that time it was very strange if I'm leaving the Catholic Church I can go to the other existing church but as I said a few minutes ago Constantinople and Egypt were suffering from the Ottoman Empire empire severely. We can't even communicate. But there was a trial. Martin Luther died in October 1546. 13 years after his death, 15 years after his death, in 1559, it was the first communication between the reformers and the Orthodox Church. The Archbishop of Constantinople at that time, his name was Jeremiah II and for the first time to be contacted by them. It's a very famous and you can find all these correspondence online as well. Jeremiah II received an invitation to join the reformed church in Europe. He answered them three times and in the last one He told them, we hold the apostolic tradition. If you want to join us, come and join us. But what they were presenting to him was totally different. They were showing him, we are like you, but not like you at the same time. So he was telling them, if any church wants to be united, it means we all have to go back to the one holy tradition. The faith which delivers once to all saints, as St. Jude says, in his epistle and verse 3. So by the death of Martin Luther he has one uh, desire in his heart. He wanted an ecumenical council to share his views and to discuss the church. As I said, he died in October 1546 after his death by a few days they convened the very famous uh, council, the Council of Trent, which is a Counter-Reformation Council. And when we say Council, it's not like now. It's a week meeting or two days. It was eight years meeting. So it ended in <laughs> 1554. At the end of this one, the Church started to recognize how far we deviated from the, the true tradition. In the same year of, of, of the end of this council started the Jesuit movement, movement by St. Ignatius of Loyola in the Catholic Church. And it became like a counter-reformation movement. And now we can go back to the real tradition of the church. It was very successful at the time. And now again it's Yani. Getting weaker and weaker. But it's one of the strongest monastic life in the Catholic Church, is the Jesuit. Yes. Can you find the account of strength again? Like what was made? Yes. The main thing is a counter-reformation. So Martin Luther wanted to cancel from the tradition seven books in the Old Testament and seven books in the New Testament. So he cancelled the Deuterocanonical from the Old Testament, and he wanted to cancel seven books from the New Testament: the second and third of uh, John, the of John, Hebrews, uh, Second Peter, Jude, and Revelation and James. Why? Why? He doesn't. But he is very saying sola scriptura, scripture alone. But scripture according to my own, for James, it's, it's a very strawy epistle, because he speaks a lot about works, but he doesn't see the grace behind it, so he wants grace alone. Again, I, I would like to make my own gospel. You know, it's, it's not new, the same thing has been done by Marcion in the second century, he took off all the gospels, he kept only Luke from chapter 4 onward. Because chapter 3 has the genealogy of Christ. He doesn't want to know anything related to the God of, of evil or the God of the Old Testament. That's not new. And unfortunately, you do the same. When we avoid certain passages, this is not mine. This is not now. You're St. Augustine. Whoever picks up certain passages and ignores others is not worshipping Christ, he's worshipping his own self. Everyone can find a verse to make him feel, I'm not saying to feel good, but don't do anything. Remain as you are. And this is definitely not from God. So the council restored the, the Deuterocanonical books, kept the seven books. Despite he said so, he made his own translation. There's a loose translation for the whole Bible from Greek and Hebrew. He put the seven books in the New Testament, but when you see his writings about them, as if he ignoring them, he degrading them too much. But still, it's part of the Scripture. Uh, of course, they saw all those people as heretics, and reaffirmed all the sacraments and everything that the reformers tried to do. They restored once more. I will have one more thing because now it's more than half an hour. Kesson is a very unknown name, but he's very well known during <laughs> the same time. He is a real theologian of the Reformation. Luther is not a theologian. he's a fighter, a, 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 a bold man, but the real theologian of it is Milene Kesson. Milene Kesson, And this again, it shows us how the beginning when the church started everyone to make his own theology. Different things happened in the early church, but it, it was not a theology of a person who is narrow-minded. And For example, as we discussed maybe last week, Saint Irenaeus is the one who not inventing, but took the idea from Saint Paul, Ephesians 1.10, and told us about the theology of, of uh, recapitulation. And most of his writing against this is how Christ came to recapitulate the church, but he didn't invent it from his mind, but he focused more on it. Blenkinsop is the founder of something called the theology of fundamentum, or the foundation. He took all what he has from two verses, First Corinthians and St Paul, second First Corinthians three ten to fifteen, and then St Paul said the same thing nearly in Ephesians again that Christ is the foundation, we believe that Christ is the foundation but he took this to the extreme again away from the tradition of the church But the biggest thing he has done, he made the confession of faith of Augsburg, which again is the confession of faith of the first reformers in the church history It has been developed and changed many times over the history but this is the first one to be done is the one who wrote every single piece that has been presented during the time of Reformation. He was younger than Luther, but he was very efficient in doing all these things. Again, when you read his writings, it's Bible-based only, ignoring every single thing around it, which means from the beginning, the decision was taken, we'll focus only on our own understanding to the Word of God. Every single reform, reformer or even anyone in the reformed churches, they are always saying scripture alone. If you go to the counter the counter on the Google, how many denominations now? It's, I checked it last time, two years ago, or maybe more. 48,400 something. Denominations? Yes. And everyone is saying scripture alone. So, they are all spiritual why do we need to have more than one that's why it is not it couldn't be a scripture a scripture in the church scripture in that tradition without it as we discussed last week without the event without the life of the church you can make your own stories out of any book you read it and I will. you know even if we say now we are going to read a spiritual book we can hear strange very strange ideas from people read the same book with us they are not bad but this is how my mind wandered with the statements and so on. I will stop here and I listen to your question. We will oh just pray with you from now on.